right, you'll remain standing. We're going to read some scripture. And this is from uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, the first six verses. You can follow along as I, uh, as I read. Here's what uh, the Word of God says. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. King David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Well, we're going to dive into that story a little deeper here in just a little bit, but let's uh, let's ask God to uh, guide us this morning. Lord, thank you for the victory you have in Jesus. Uh, thank you that uh, our eternal destiny is sealed and determined because of what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, thank you for that good news. Lord, may may that um, just uh, sink deep into our hearts this morning. Uh, Lord, we are so grateful for all that you have done. And as we begin to move into the holiday season of Thanksgiving and again, celebrating um, your arrival on planet Earth, uh, your son's arrival, Lord, may our hearts be filled with uh, uh, praise and thanksgiving to you. And Lord, we pray now that as we uh, continue our worship, as we look into your word, Lord, uh, help us to be like young Samuel who uh, said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So may your spirit um, take the word of God and, and, and speak to us today uh, to change our hearts and to change our lives to be more like your son, Jesus. So open up our hearts and minds to your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you've been with us, we've been looking at the life of David, and uh, we probably have two or three more messages in uh, the life of David. This is part 15 of the life of David, so we've been at it for a little while. Uh, David, uh, the, the king of Israel, and uh, we've been uh, journeying through his life. And uh, young David was anointed king of Israel at the age of about 16, a private anointing. And then uh, it wasn't until he was 30... 13 years later that he was anointed uh, king over Judah, and then about seven years later, he was anointed king over the entire nation. And David's known as one of the greatest uh, kings, the greatest names in Israel's history. He's the only person in the Bible who's called a man after God's own heart. And and isn't it interesting that uh, David had some great failures in his life, and we're looking at one of them this morning but the scriptures two times call him a man after God's own heart, and we'll discover uh, why, that, why that is. So two weeks ago, we saw kind of David with a very uh, fine, good light shed on him. Uh, remember, uh, we saw that David showed kindness. Uh, the, the Hebrew word was hesed. Uh, it means loving kindness, mercy, and grace 
to King Saul and Jonathan's relative, Mephibosheth, and that David fulfilled this promise that he would care for the members of Jonathan's family after he died and King Saul, and he found one family member left. He was a lame a crippled young man by the name of Mephibosheth, he found him and brought him to the palace and said, you're going to eat at the king's table for the rest of your life. And that's Second uh, Samuel chapter 9. By the time we come to chapter 11, we saw last week David's about 50 years old. He's uh, not going out to battle. He stays home at the palace, and you know the story that uh, he sees a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba. And uh, David is large and in charge, and he sends, sends people to find out who she is. They bring her to the palace. They have a sexual relationship, and then Bathsheba sends word to David, I am pregnant. And David goes into panic mode. David goes into cover-up mode, and uh, he had uh, two cover-up plans that didn't work. The third one did. Send her husband to the front lines of the battle and then have the other guys withdraw from him, and perhaps he'll be killed. And Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, was killed in battle. And soon after, David brings Bathsheba to the palace, Their child is born, and there's a very haunting verse at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here's how the chapter closes. David's happy. Bathsheba's happy, but God isn't. And it says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So now we're going to come to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 12, and we're going to look at um, the next part of the story. And if you were here last week, we pointed out that in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the word sent or send is used 10 times. David's orchestrating things. David's a man of authority, and so he's sending someone to find out who Bathsheba is. He's sending someone to bring Bathsheba to the, the palace uh, he's, he's sending uh, people everywhere to kind of orchestrate what he wants to happen. And now, about at least nine months later, because the child has been born, we open up chapter 12, and someone else begins to do some sending. And the chapter opens, The Lord sent Nathan to David. While David was a king... God is the king of kings, and he's not happy with David. And so he sends the prophet Nathan to confront King David. How would you like that assignment? Talk about speaking truth to power. And so the the prophet Nathan um, makes this, this journey, and he comes to King David at the palace, and he tells him a story. Now, we need to understand the background and the responsibilities of a king back then. It was not unusual for the king to have people bring their their grievances, their problems to the king for the king to make a final ruling. The king functioned as like the U.S. Supreme Court. He was the final word. 
We see this later on in, in 2 Samuel when Solomon's king. And remember, there was a story of two ladies that came to them and they were fighting over whose baby this, the, this was. And King Solomon had to make a ruling. So it's not unusual for David to hear a story and to make a, a judgment, a ruling. And probably many commentators think David thought this was a real life story. And, and we read the story and the story is of a rich man that had some company stop in, and in the Middle East, hospitality is everything. And uh, when company stops by, no matter what time, you, you bring out the food. And, and that's just expected. And back then, they didn't have uh, holiday inns. They didn't have Hampton inns, and people opened up their homes for travelers. And so Nathan tells this story to King David about a rich man, and he had lots of cattle, he had lots of sheep, and he has a, a, a traveler come and, and, and stop at his home. And rather than supplying him with food from his own resources, he takes from a poor man who has one lamb, who is really a pet lamb, and he takes that lamb and he steals it from him and he uses that to feed the, the traveler. And when David hears this story, uh, and, and we read in verse 5, it says, King David burned with anger against this man. King David is furious at that injustice. Notice his response, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. David says, this guy, this guy deserves the death penalty. But then he goes back to the Old Testament law, and this is found in Exodus 22, uh, uh, verse 1. Uh, here's the Old Testament law. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. So the Old Testament law says if you steal someone's sheep or slaughter someone's sheep, then you got to pay him back four sheep. And so David offers an opinion here, and he, he goes for the maximum sentence according to Old Testament law. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now here's the interesting part. It's interesting that and, and we know the story of David and Bathsheba. Dave, David's guilty of, of uh, lust, coveting, uh, adultery, and, and really murder because he arranged for Uriah to, to be murdered. David's guilty of all those things, but he doesn't see it in his own life. In other words, he can see the injustice in someone else's life, but he's not owning up to his own failures. He is blind to his own sin. And you know, in one sense, um, that can be common of all of us. All of us can have uh, some blind spots in our own life, and we, we can see problems in, you know, other people's lives, our, and, and maybe even in our spouse and everything, but we all potentially have some blind spots in our life that we can't see. I, I would suggest that if um, 
this is something that you would consider doing, is uh, to go to uh, a very close friend or, or a spouse and uh, uh, be vulnerable and have a discussion sometimes. Hey, is there anything, do I have any blind spots or anything that I need to improve on? And if you give that opportunity, don't give them ten things. You know, just 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 start with start with one or two, one or two, and uh, and don't be defensive about it. Uh, receive that, and and that can be that can be a great thing because we all have some blind spots in our lives. Certainly, the religious leaders of Jesus Day did, <laughs> and they had all these rules and regulations and six hundred and thirteen do's and don'ts, and they missed the Messiah right in front of them. And Jesus condemns them in Matthew 23. He talks about them being hypocrites. He says, you strain at a um, camel and you swallow, or you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel are the words of, of Jesus. So uh, David can see the sin in, in somebody else, but he's, he's missing his own sin until um, verse 7. And we see the surprise announcement. And here's where the whole story changes. Then Nathan said to David, or the, the spirited, uh, we saw the spirited response. That was David in verses five and six. Now the surprise announcement. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You're, you're the man in this story. And I think David knew which one he was pointing to. Uh, you're, the, you're the rich man. David, you already got plenty of wives. And and you're the man. You're the one who uh, stole that uh, little sheep from the poor man. You are the man. This is what the Lord of God of Israel says. And then he talks. Nathan reminds him of all the privileges that God gave him. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the word of what the Lord says. Out of your household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Nathan delivers God's message to King David, and he's confronting him square in the eyes with his sin of of adultery and and murder and uh, Nathan points the finger and says you're the man and then he talks about God's judgment on him God is not pleased why did you despise the word of the Lord now therefore the sword will never depart from your house three of David's sons died violent deaths and David's life and family life reads like a soap opera if you read through the rest of 2 Samuel and into 1 Kings. 
verse 11 and 12. David, what you did in secret, this, this was a secret sin that you tried to cover up. Here's what's going to happen. I will give your wives to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. We don't have time to look at it. Look up 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. David's own son Absalom is now trying to take the kingdom away from David, and he sleeps with David's wives in broad daylight for everyone to see. And so um, the surprise announcement, you are the man, and now David faces a crucible in his life. David, David can either um, acknowledge his sin and repent, or David can continue his defensiveness cover-up. David chooses confession and honesty and admission. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I don't know if you've ever um, recently acknowledged that in in your life and in, in my looking at my own life. You know, First John says, if, if we say that we don't have any sin in our life, we, we deceive ourselves. That's why we need to look into the mirror of God's word that, that shows us God's standard and God's truth. And David admits his sin. Notice the prophet Nathan's response. What's the first thing he says to him? The Lord has taken away your sin. Thank God for forgiveness. There's no sin that's beyond the forgiveness of God. Adultery, murder, there's no sin that God will not forgive. And so Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin, and then he says, you are not going to die. Now, why did Nathan say that? Nathan said that because in the Old Testament, the penalty for adultery was death. That was, that, was, that was the penalty uh, for adultery. And so, so Nathan says, you're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. David, you're not going to die. But your, your son, your baby boy, is going to die. And the rest of most of the chapter tells us the rest of the story. And let's just read it quickly to kind of wrap it up. And then we'll look at some, some life lessons. And it says, after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David and he became ill. So this newborn child is sick. So David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood before him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. David is is interceding and asking God to let that baby live. It says on the seventh day the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, While the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he's dead. 
Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. This is an amazing verse. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Reminds me of what Job did and Job's agony and pain and sorrow. Job responded with worship. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then he went to his own house and at his request, they served him food and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. That last part of verse 23 is an interesting statement. David says, this baby has died. I cannot bring him back, but I will go to him. Over the years, I've had many, many people ask me, what happens to the babies when they die? Do, baby, do, babies, go, do babies go to heaven when they die? And my heart wants to say, yes. And, and people say, well, tell me, give me some scripture that will show, show that. And uh, the scriptures do not say a lot about it, but this is one of the key verses. And I believe with all my heart that when a baby dies, they go into God's presence. Because David says, he's not coming back. But someday I'm going to go and be with him. What a great assurance and promise that is. Well, Nathan confronts uh, David, and David acknowledges his sin, and it's a key turning point in the life of, of King David. And uh, let's, uh, let's take the next 10, 15 minutes here and just conclude by looking at some life lessons from uh, this story in 1 Samuel chapter 12. So what can we learn from, from this confrontation between uh, Nathan and David in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Um, here's, here's the first one I want us to think about. And it's this, that God sees and knows all. God sees all. God knows all. Uh, there's nothing that we can hide from, from God. David's trying to, to uh, be large and in charge, and he's trying to cover up his sin and keep this secret. And what we realize is that you can't hide anything from God. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Because God is what? God is um, omniscient. He knows everything. God is omnipresent. He is his everywhere. Jonah tried to run from God. It doesn't work. God is everywhere, and God sees and knows everything. Psalm 139 says, he knows when we lay down. He knows when we get up. He knows what we're going to say before we even say it. He knows our thoughts. God knows everything. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him 
to whom we must give an account. And so we need to be reminded, you can't hide from God. And there's no such thing as a secret sin because God sees all. God knows all. He not only sees and knows what we do, but 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says he knows our motives. He knows not only what we do, but he knows our motivation for doing it. And someday we're going to have to give an account to him. That's a good reminder for all of us that God sees and knows everything. Life lesson number two. God assigns the task of, I will add the word, confrontation and restoration to those who are spiritual. Notice who God gave the task of confronting David with his sin with Bathsheba. He chose Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet was God's spokesperson, God's spokesman, and he's the one that God chose to go to David and confront him with his sin. There's a verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Brothers and sisters, he's writing to Christians. If you know Christ as a Savior, he's writing to you. If someone is caught in a sin... You who, the NIV says, live by the Spirit. The King James says, you who are spiritual. The New Living Translation says, you who are godly should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So this story about Nathan confronting David with his sin um, is uh, can be applied to our lives because the Bible says that um, there's a responsibility when we see another brother or sister, someone who claims to be a Christian, and they're going astray. Who is supposed to confront and restore? And in one sense, in the New Testament church, it is the church, church leadership. But Paul writes to the Galatians and says, if you consider yourself spiritually mature... This is your job as well. It's part of holding each other accountable and caring and loving for people. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, are godly, should restore that person gently. The word restore, the the Greek word katartizo, uh, means to mend. It's a picture of a, a broken bone uh, that it, that is healing. And so you're supposed to, re- that's the goal of confronting someone in sin. It's not to condemn them, but it is what? To lovingly restore them back to a relationship with God, back to a relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so uh, God assigns the task of restoration, confrontation to those who are spiritual. Notice how that is to be done. Restore that person gently, gently. Uh, we, we need to be very careful how, how we do this, and we need to do it uh, in, a, in a gentle spirit. And notice that's kind of what Nathan did. Nathan didn't go in there and just start like, 
uh, hammering David. He tells this story, and David then finds out, yeah, I guess I'm the guy. But restore a person gently. I would also say that we need to do it uh, humbly and prayerfully. Again, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter uh, 7 and verses 3 through 5, uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount, says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your eye? Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You better be very careful when you do this. (laughs) When you're going to go confront somebody about the sin in their life, you better first examine your own life. Make sure that uh, you're right with God. And don't, uh, um, don't look for the speck in someone else's eye when you got a plank in your own eye. And so God assigns the task of restoration to those who are spiritual. And it's to be done gently. It's to be done humbly. Uh, it's to be done prayerfully. A long time ago when I was first at our, our previous church and I was only there for about a week or two and uh, one of our leaders asked me to sit in on a meeting with him and another member of the church and um, so, of course, I said, yes, I'd be glad to do that. And uh, this church leader was, was not, um, not very happy with this other person and some, find out later some things that had happened. And I sat in on that meeting, and um, I didn't take the lead because I was new and didn't, know, didn't really know much of the background. But I want to tell you, he hammered this person. I mean, he just... There was no there was no mercy, there was no humility, there was no gentleness. And afterwards it it took me reaching out for weeks and weeks and months to try to undo the damage that that meeting did to her heart and her soul and her spirit. God assigns the task of restoration to those who are spiritual. Two more and then we're done. Life lesson number three is this. Sin always has consequences. Sin always has consequences. Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so sin always has consequences. Yes, our sin can be forgiven, but there's always consequences for sin. It's like the, the nails in the board, and you can, take the, you can take the nails out of the board as forgiveness, but there's some scars that are left there. And unfortunately, sin has, uh, sin has devastating uh, consequences. There's always collateral damage to sin. And innocent people get hurt because sin has a repel effect. And sin always has consequences. Life lesson number four, we'll conclude with this, is that we all need faithful friends in our life 
who will speak the truth in love. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, or 15, rather. Paul's talking about the, uh, the change in our life when we have Christ in our life. And Ephesians 4, 15 says, speaking the truth in love. So it's this balance of Jesus is, is described as being full of what? Grace and truth. And uh, that's how we're supposed to um, share with people uh, when we have to confront them. We have to speak the truth, but we need to do it in love. And the life lesson here is that we all need faithful friends in our life who will speak the truth in love to us, just like Nathan did David. Just like when you go to the doctor and maybe you've got a serious issue, do you want them to tell you what you would like to hear or do you want to hear the truth? And we all say, yeah, I want to hear the truth. And and that's the way we, we need to be. We need to speak the truth in love. Here's a Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. David's son Solomon, his second son with Bathsheba after the first son died, wrote the book of Proverbs, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Or another translation says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so we all need someone in our life that is close enough to us that will keep us accountable, that will speak the truth in life, in love. I hope you have someone like a Nathan in your life. I hope you have some sort of, of accountability partner or some sort of close friend that, that will speak God's truth to you in love because that is what a true friend does. And I mentioned this briefly last week. It's a wonderful kind of conclusion to this whole story because you would think that, that maybe King David would be mad at Nathan and, and, uh, like get rid of Nathan because he had the gall to confront him like he did in 2 Samuel chapter 12. But, uh, that's not the case. In 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, uh, is a list of the sons of David. And he had a lot of them. <laughs> he had a lot of wives. By the way, just because something's recorded in Scripture doesn't mean God approves, approves of it. And so here are the sons of David. First uh, Chronicles chapter 3, verse 4, uh, says, These six were born to David in Hebron, where he reigned for seven years and six months. And David reigned in Jerusalem 33 years, these were the children born to him there. So if you're looking for some uh, names for kids or grandkids, I, I wouldn't suggest these. Um, Shamua, Shobab, son number three, Nathan. Nathan. So he has a, he has a future son, and guess who he chooses to name that son after? He names him after the prophet Nathan. That true friend who had the courage to confront David with his sin 
and bring him back to the right path and restore his relationship to God. We have uh, five grandsons. Grandchild number six is on the way, and that one's going to be a, a girl, first girl in our family, my family line in 137 years. Um, so the girl's not going to be named Ron, I know that. <laughs> but here's what I do. Uh, so grandson number one, two, three, four. Yeah, grandson number four, his name's Cameron. So I call him Cameron. <laughs> Maybe that's as close as I'm going to get. So Diane can attest to that, and his parents, I don't think they mind it, but I always call him, hey, Cameron, and um, he responds to that. But, but uh, David names son number three with Bathsheba, uh, Nathan, because he had a true friend. Well, that's the story of David, and um, the application for our lives is that the sin is serious, and uh, we need uh, we need people to hold us accountable, friends that will speak the truth in love. Let's uh, let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for um, your uh, truth, and Lord, uh, there are, are parts of Scripture that should uh, bring great comfort to our hearts. But there are other parts of Scripture that should make us feel uncomfortable. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would help us to um, be honest with you this morning. Lord, help us to examine our own lives. And, uh, Lord, would you reveal to us this morning uh, maybe an area in our life that we need to uh, deal with. Lord, may we uh, pray the prayer of David in Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me. Lord, would you, would you turn your searchlight into my heart and life and would you show me where I need to make a correction and confess sin and come back to you? So, Lord, that's, uh, that's the prayer of our hearts today. Lord, we pray that uh, you would uh, reveal that to us as we close our service today. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.